0: Last week, we were shocked to learn of the passing of Dr. Stephen Sinatra, a frequent contributor on intelligent medicine. He was a great friend and colleague, and more than an integrative cardiologist, he was a doctor with a big heart. And so today, we're reprising a recent podcast from earlier this year with Dr. Sinatra to commemorate his outstanding contributions to nutritional medicine. Here it goes. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're recording this podcast on Valentine's Day, and I can't think of a more appropriate uh, guest for Valentine's Day than America's foremost integrative cardiologist. He's board certified in the field, and he is well known to many of you. He's a frequent uh, contributor here on Intelligent Medicine. He's Dr. Stephen Sinatra, an old friend and associate, colleague. Stephen, it's a pleasure having you back on Intelligent Medicine. Happy Valentine's.
1: You, know, you too, Ron. I, I guess we've known each other for more than 20, 25 years. It's amazing. Easily that,
0: easily that, and I and of that has to do with our uh, work in establishing the the American, what has now become the American uh, Nutrition Association. Uh, you know, you were right. You know, one of the uh, the uh, charter members of that, and it was an effort to. Uh, spread the word about the benefits of personalized nutrition uh, that this organization was started. I, I guess it was back in the, in the 90s, uh, perhaps even before that. And uh, that's where you know, we spent a lot of quality time together, got to know one another. Uh, then over the course of the years, you've been a frequent uh, guest on Intelligent Medicine, perhaps starting in in the 1990s when I was doing my podcast and radio program. Then, uh, actually pre-podcast because it was just the radio program. Uh, so it's it's once again it's great having you you back. So um, you know I'm going to put you on the spot here because uh, I'm going to ask you just a, a very broad question. Just t- we c- you can tee off on it. Uh, and the question is, you know, it's, it's now 2020 and you've been around on the scene for a long time. You know, you probably trained uh, well, sometime in the 20th century. We won't get too specific. And, you know, over the course of your career, do you think we're doing a good job in terms of uh, preventing and treating cardiovascular disease? Uh, what's your assessment?
1: Oh, gosh, that's sort of a broad question. Yeah, I, mean, I, do. I know. We could do a better job. I mean, we could do a better job. I mean, you know, a lot of people still believe in this myth that the high cholesterol situation is the worst situation you can have. But that's, you know, I mean, the, the cholesterol story is really about LP little a. I mean, it's a very small particle, but it doesn't get in the airtime because there's no drugs that treat it. So I would say that, you know, the, the the great cholesterol myth, I mean, that was one of my books. I still believe that, you know, statins are being overutilized in the population. I mean, they do help some people. There's no question. Um, I don't think you need to take the large doses that are recommended. But, you know, when it comes to heart disease, um, sugar is the problem. And I'll never forget it, Ryan. I was at an American College of Nutrition Board of Directors meeting a couple of years ago. And back then, there were close to 100 million diabetics in the country. I mean, think about that. I mean, that, if you add up the type 1s, the type 2s, you know, the insulin, the non-insulin, the uh, people with high hemoglobin H1Cs, the obese people who, who have high fasting blood sugars, I mean, it's enormous when you think that one in three to four people, you know, have diabetes in this country. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is, is that, you know, Americans are overweight. Uh, we've f- taken far too much sugar. We eat far too many carbohydrates, and uh, you know I think that's a big problem going forward, and especially in COVID nineteen. I mean, I mean, let's face it: one of the two worst com- comorbidities to have, other than aging, we can say aging is comorbidity, but basically significant overweight status and diabetes as two serious comorbidities, and a lot of them go hand in hand. So, I guess. Cardiovascular disease hasn't changed much in the last, you know, 50 years. I mean, you know, it's amazing. But this May will be my 50th year out of medical school. I'll, I'll have my 50th, uh, uh, you know, 50th reunion. Think I, about I that. I remember my
0: 30th reunion. That was a big deal. But uh, 50 is going to be pretty, pretty weird. We'll get around to yes, it. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, recently a study came out, interesting study. And, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, I'll, I'll send you the, the link, uh, which looked at – it was done by a bunch of conventional cardiologists. In fact, many of them were actually sponsored by uh, the very self-same drug companies that make statin drugs. And what they did is they looked at coronary calcification, which uh, I know you like as a as a way of yeah. predicting oh, cardiovascular yeah. risk. We can talk a little bit about it. And the impact of LDL. And basically, one of the important conclusions from that was – LDL doesn't really matter if you have a very low coronary calcium. So I'm sure you've seen many patients in your practices, I have, who have alarmingly high cholesterol. They're freaked out because their cholesterol is you know 250, 275, even over 300. Uh, yet they usually have a pretty high HDL. They're they're lean, they're energetic, uh, they exercise, um, they take supplements, and they have zero plaque or minimal plaque, and yet their doctors are hitting them over the head to take a statin to lower their cholesterol. So what say you about that kind of situation?
1: I love the calcium score. I mean, um, gee, when I was a young cardiologist back in my 40s and 50s, I actually had two EBCT scans done at the the Mattis Medical Center on Long Island, you know, close to you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, having an EBCT scan basically involves looking at calcified plaque in your coronaries. And if you do have, you know, zero plaque or, you know, a very low calcium load, I mean, that's what you want because what it means is that you have a low index of inflammation in your body. You see, inflammation is the root cause of coronary artery disease. It's not cholesterol. It it really isn't. Now, if you have that LP little a situation, you know, you have a very, very small particle of cholesterol, you know, it has a disulfide bridge, it's very inflammatory, it's very thrombogenic, uh, you know, in other words, it causes blood clotting. You know, that's the real cholesterol story. And and with the Biogenome Project, it's been alarming, but in the, in the last, let's see, that project came out in the 1990s, so in the last, like, maybe 25 to 30 years, it's been determined that about up to 20% of the population... Has high LP little A. Now, do doctors test for it? Not many, because there's no drugs that treat it. Right. Only only nutraceuticals treat it. You know, yeah. like niacin, for example, or lumbrokinase, or or You know, even CoQ ten will help to uh, marginalize LP little A. But like a lot of doctors, you know, don't look for it because again, there's no drugs. And unfortunately, the you know the industry uh, has relied on statins.
0: Yeah. uh, It's it's sort of a one size fits all approach. Um, So uh, the the emphasis on uh, lowering uh, cholesterol, uh, some people speculate that it has led to a higher instance of another type of heart problem. Perhaps we've somewhat reduced the risk of heart attacks. Uh, Because the statins, for some people, some vulnerable people, may work. Uh, But then we have a higher incidence now of congestive heart failure. That's becoming a big problem. The drugs for congestive heart failure are sort of mad. They they don't really do the job.
1: Right, right. I mean, um, you know, the problem is statins, um, you know, they're cholesterol killers. There's no doubt about it. But remember, coenzyme Q10 is made in that same mevalonate pathway. In other words, the cholesterol pathway uh, makes CoQ10 as well as cholesterol. So when you use a statin drug, uh, not only does it kill cholesterol, but it also kills a lot of the body's production of coenzyme Q10. So one of the reasons why we see heart failure over time is that the heart needs CoQ10. I mean, the heart is the most metabolically active organ. And, um, you know, if you think of the weight of the heart, about 30% of the weight of the heart is mitochondria. And that's where CoQ10 does its its magic. It's, it's, it's inside the mitochondria. It drives ATP in a preferential direction. You know, it drives energy. ATP, ATP is our chi energy of our body, so to speak. And it drives that energy. And if you knock out, the very nutrient that provides energy in our body. It's no wonder why, you know, people have fatigue. Uh, they have, I mean, the side effects of statins, I've seen them over and over again in my office. It goes any I mean, it starts with brain fog, memory problems, uh, fatigue, GI problems, muscle wasting problems. I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, I've seen it all when it comes to statin problems. And I'll tell you, Ryan, I've even seen total global amnesia, yeah. which is the scariest symptom yep. of all.
0: TGA. I mean, you
1: know, where people forget who they are. I've seen yeah. that on statins.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is. But
1: look, uh, statins uh, do some good things. I mean, so, let, let's not throw them under the bus completely. Exactly. Remember, I mean, a low dose statin, if, if I had a male, uh, you know, under the age of 75, uh, with, you know, Coronary artery disease, whether they've had a heart attack, a bypass surgery, or stents, or anything like that. If I had a young male, um, yeah, I would use a low dose statin. I mean, maybe five or ten milligrams. Uh, you know, not eighty milligrams like a lot of doctors prescribe, but a low dose statin uh, with at least a hundred to two hundred milligrams of CoQ10. Uh, I've used, and particularly in males, not in females, because females. I've seen too many uh, really grave side effects, much more uh, much more common in females as opposed to males. Mm-hmm. And I never use statins in the elderly because of the memory problems. I've seen that over and over again yep. where, you know, internists would send patients to my office, you know. And, Ron, it was frightful. I had people forgetting where they put their car keys or yep. forgetting and where they put their glasses. They're or already cognitively they risk. It was
0: terrible. They're, they're already on yes. the cusp of memory loss and just that... Uh, added depletion, uh, can put them right over the edge. So yeah, in the, in the frail elderly, it, it never makes any sense. I mean, when I see some, you know, sometimes an 85 year old, you know, on a raft of drugs, including cholesterol lowering drugs, uh, or perhaps even someone who's diagnosed with a potentially terminal cancer and they're still on a, on a cholesterol lowering drug. I just don't get it. I, I don't understand what, what yeah. they're thinking. Uh, but I have a, a, you know, we'll just jump right into uh, a controversy here. Um, coenzyme q10 versus ubiquinol you you have some controversial views about that you're from what i understand and you're know, reading some of the, your writings on the subject you're not that big a fan of ubiquinol you don't think it offers that much in the way of advantage
1: well only if you compare it to a high quality ubiquinone I mean, I've studied CoQ10 for 40 years. I mean, I've done thousands of blood, and I, and, I, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean, I tested thousands of patients with blood levels because I tested everybody with CoQ10 when I first started using it uh, in the early 80s. And uh, um, what I realized was that a lot of CoQ10s were not absorbed by the body. I saw that firsthand and a lot of it had to, had to do with the, the the delivery systems with coQ10 and and when ubiquinol came on board uh I looked at it and I and I and I used it and um it was kind of interesting I I did a study in my office uh with ubiquinol versus the high quality ubiquinone that I got from Tishcon uh you, you know that Healthy Directions uses and um I did a study of about eighty. I should have published it. I don't know why I didn't, but I had a Connecticut weightlifter. She was amazing. She was she was like uh, uh, very very popular in weightlifting competitions. And when I, and I put her on ubiquinol and she was doing great. And um, then I did a three week washout, and I put her on ubiquinol. And after a week, week and a half, she begged me, begged me to take her off because she she couldn't you know lift the amount of weights and she and she couldn't do her routine because she was vitally exhausted and i couldn't figure it out And i said look please it's, it's only another week or two you know and then i'll gonna you know take you off and then i'll put you back on uh, ubiquinone and she agreed not not to come out of the study and then as soon as i put it back on a ubiquinone a week or two later she says i'm perfect again i'm mm-hmm. fine i thought it was a an enigma i i didn't think much about it but then ron about a year or two later there was a long distance runner who reported in a Townsend Journal. I don't know if you read that journal anymore yeah, I do. but and he reported he reported that taking Ubiquin all, his times, his you know, his long distance times were getting longer instead of shorter and it mm-hmm. bothered him mm-hmm. because he was, you know, uh racing five and ten K races. And it really bothered him. So then he went back to Ubiquin on, and all of a sudden he was back to his, you know, he was shaving, you know, minutes off the higher times he was getting with ubiquinol. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't explain that either. But I, I wrote a letter to the editor, sharing my story with the, uh, uh, you know, the Connecticut weightlifter, and basically, you know, uh, this is this is what I believe. If you have a high quality ubiquinone. Uh, it's as good as any ubiquinol. And why pay the extra money, you know, mm-hmm. to, to buy a ubiquinol? However, could ubiquinol have an advantage? And the answer is yes. I think ubiquinol has an advantage in these really bad congenital syndromes, like Friedreich's ataxia, mm-hmm. uh, McCardle syndrome, like, for like example. Mitochondrial you know, areas of like mitochondrial diseases? mitochondrial Yeah, these disease. mitochondrial diseases. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I got a little sophisticated. Sure, no. These mitochondrial diseases that um, takes a little bit of energy to turn around. Because you remember, the body turns ubiquinol to ubiquinone and vice versa. In other words, it, 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 it's, it's oxidized versus reduced. But if you have a congenital situation uh, where you have a mitochondrial defect
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: in these young people with these congenital syndromes, it might make a difference.
0: That's interesting.
1: So, th- there I would use, you know, ubiquinol.
0: So, so another trend in cardiology is, uh, you know, they're playing a cholesterol limbo. You know, for people especially who have, uh, risk, you know, perhaps they've had, uh, bypass or a stent, uh, they put them on a new raft of drugs, the, uh, PSK9 inhibitors. Oh, yeah. Inhibitors, I sometimes refer to them. Right. I, I refer to them as the pesky drugs because it's a little hard to pronounce, but the initials are PSK, PSCK9. Uh, inhibitors right and, and these drugs drive cholesterol way down and and sometimes the goal of doctors is you know I've had patients come in and their cholesterol was like 110 and and the patients say oh but my doctor wants my cholesterol to be 80 <laughs> you know because I'm at risk bad, bad medicine what do you do you feel that see, I, see that's the problem you looked at some of the studies doctors on need those to things? treat patients yeah yeah I've seen I, I've
1: seen studies on that I, I looked at it and I even had a personal conversation with dr Dwayne graveline he you know, who developed total global amnesia. He's the guy, he's the astronaut.
0: The astronaut who developed... uh, He's
1: the astronaut, uh, doctor, yeah. 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 And he and I even spoke on the telephone a few times. So I I have to tell you that, um, you know, we need cholesterol. I mean, cholesterol makes our sex hormones. uh, It lubricates our skin. Hey, look, in the COVID-19 era, you know, sunlight, when it hits the skin, uh, and the skin's got cholesterol in it, what does it form? Magical vitamin D, yeah, three. Yeah.
0: You it's know? a precursor to vitamin so D. Why yeah. would
1: you want to drive cholesterol down, especially in, a, in an infectious area where our body needs all the vitamin D it can make? And, uh, you know, it's important that, uh, you, know, we, you know, sometimes small amounts of drugs are good. Now, I'm not going to throw drugs under the bus completely. But the problem is we're treating too many healthy people uh for high cholesterol when it's not necessary
0: yeah that, that uh, i would agree so w- what impact do you think that covid has had on the incidence of heart disease i mean first of all they're the people who have post covid or long covid uh with heart involvement and then they're the people who kind of went to pot because of the lockdown the pandemic the pandemic itself has, has perhaps spawned a uh, a new pandemic of metabolic uh heart disease
1: yeah, the COVID, uh, uh, situation is, is grave. I mean, as a heart specialist, I really keep up on this. I read everything I can. And, um, you know, a, a guest you should have on your show is Peter McCullough. I don't oh, know yeah. if you read anything by him sure. or yeah. he's a great guy. I've, I've listened to him, his podcasts and everything. And, uh, I would recommend you get him on the show. I mean, he's really a very, very bright cardiologist that understands, you know, this whole, you know, pandemic when it comes to COVID-19. But, you know, the problem is, there's ACE receptors in the heart, and the virus locks into these ACE receptors. And when the virus locks into the ACE receptor, you know, it can cause a lot of blood clotting and uh, enormous inflammation and stuff like that. That's why I think coenzyme Q10 is gonna have another role in this COVID pandemic, because remember, what happens, you get endothelial cell dysfunction, and you get lots of what we call inflammatory cytokines, C-reactive protein, tissue necrosis factor alpha. You get all these interleukin-6, in other words, all these inflammatory chemicals in the body, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. Uh, And it causes enormous what we call endothelial cell dysfunction. One of the things that coenzyme Q10 does is that it supports endothelial cell function. So it's a direct antagonist. And I think coenzyme Q10 is going to find a home, so to speak, in infectious etiologies, especially in this COVID nineteen era, because it does a lot to support the immune system.
0: Well, there's the direct effects of COVID, which uh, are, are real. There's well the myocarditis. There's well. the myocarditis, yeah. which is either COVID related, but can also be subsequent to vaccine administration, especially in young males. That's, yeah. That's another. Have you have you yeah. uh, been looking at that phenomenon?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the recent articles came. I mean, uh, Dr. Gundy had a nice article in Circulation, came out only a couple of months ago in November, mm-hmm. where um, you know the vaccines. Well, he, he got were, body. He, were, were he got, he got actually, body
0: slammed for that. He really did. I mean, boy, they they canceled him and suppressed it, and really uh, lit into. Well, the- there's a
1: lot of canceled culture going on. That's yep. that's the problem. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, who do you believe today? That's the you know you know it's amazing, Ron. I mean, you and I are physicians. We, we know this better than anybody. But let's face it. If a person goes to five different doctors, they're going to get five different opinions. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. And the same thing is true in this COVID epidemic. I mean, it's, it, there's doctors that, you know, believe in this in the status quo and there's doctors that don't. And, you know, people ask me this all the time. And I just say, find a doctor you trust and just go with their advice. That's all. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way I, that's, that's what I recommend.
0: The the problem is, is that, you know, if you have the right to go to, private physicians or, or, or you know physicians of, of your choice uh, you can elicit different opinions but on social media it's you know you got to follow the narrative and if you depart from the narrative yeah that, uh, you get problem. canceled You're right. or it, censored yeah it, i mean it's it's a deplorable yeah. state of affairs uh, and uh, it is
1: i mean i mean we're, we're becoming like the soviet union it's very very unfortunate i mean oh my gosh I, I can't believe we're seeing this in our lifetime to be honest
0: with yeah. you. i, I mean, it it is astonishing to, to me what the I, you know, in, in an atmosphere of, of fear and apprehension, uh, I think people become more uh, liable to uh, make bad judgments, and, and that's sort of what's happening. Yeah,
1: they follow the herd. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You know, it's like with the, in the Bible. It's like you know, the, the sleep, get, the sheep getting slaughtered. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's, it's very important for you know people to. You know, take responsibility for their own health and, you know, talk to their their own physicians, especially people that they trust. You know, that's the important thing.
0: Yeah. And and unfortunately, I think we're going to, you know, when COVID subsides, which I, I believe it will, it'll become endemic. Um, you're, we're going to be left with a far more dangerous legacy of uh, unhealthy people, people who've uh, been spending their time, uh, you know, locked down. Uh, you know eating takeout food you know they talk about the phenomenon of the COVID-15 you know which is the 15 pound weight loss, gain that people have experienced right. uh, you know uh, cardiologists are going to have their hands
1: right. full yeah you're absolutely right I mean even the lockdowns uh have have caused I mean so many problems I mean look at depression look at teenage suicide yeah, that I too. mean I mean I mean the, the the divorce I mean oh my God I mean it's just it's just awful I mean that's right. why you know don't you remember the killer viruses that you and I had to deal with in the in the in the seventies eighties and nineties I
0: yeah. mean we had HIV we dealt with this all the time yeah, absolutely it, I it, mean my God I mean wave after wave
1: I mean. When, when I think of the flu seasons, uh, and here I am like a cardiologist working at a hospital. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, th- did I see people coming in with seasonal flu who needed intubation on ventilators? Of course. Yeah. You know, I saw it all the time. And did we lose people from the flu? Yes, we did. You know, but like I said, I mean, it was it was just part of, you know, living in the modern world. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think back to my grandmother. She came from Ireland, and uh, she had 11 children. And um, nine of them died, you know, of of infectious disease and
0: all things. that was not uncommon. If you look at an 18th century graveyard, you know, you see like, you know, 1802, you know, to 1807, you know, on the gravestones, you know, quite commonly. Childhood and infant mortality was, was just regular. And, you know, people generally didn't live a long time.
1: I mean, look, I mean, like... Fortunately, in my lifetime, uh, you know, when I grew up, I maybe had like a half a dozen vaccines, you know, polio, tetanus. Uh, uh, I don't even know what else. But yep. like I said, I had all the childhood diseases, including yes. and cough and mumps yes, and measles and German measles.
0: Yep. chicken pox, And,
1: right. you know. Yeah, and look, those are SARS, and we, and, you know, it's kind of interesting, but, um, that's a SARS-2 virus. I mean, mumps, mubella, measles, you know, if, 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 if people got, like, a booster of something like that, you know, could that combat what we're seeing today? Possibly. I mean, look how many mutations this virus has had, you know, and the spike proteins over time. So, you know, I think people who are inoculated with mumps, mubella, you know, measles, you know, uh, or had the illnesses years ago or get re-inoculated with, let's say, you know, a type of vaccine like that. Hey, it might prove fruitful in the future. You never know. You never
0: know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the hygiene hypothesis, the notion that, you know, our bodies are exposed to pathogens, and it sort of entrains the immune system. And if we live in a, in a sterile environment and we prevent virtually all infectious diseases, well, our immune systems won't be as robust, or maybe the, our immune systems will turn against themselves and we'll have autoimmune diseases. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and, and did you see that um, the study that came out of Israel about four or five days ago on vitamin D? Yes. Absolutely amazing. Yet another, yet another you know? study,
0: you know, validating
1: that. Oh, yeah, a second study on vitamin D, which showed that if you had blood levels that were sufficient, you know, up around 40,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is, you know, I'd, I'd rather see people up around 60 to 70, to be honest with you. But people who had blood levels in Israel of, of vitamin D of up, up to 40 uh, versus 20, which is low, had 14 times protection. Think about that. Wow. Fourteen times protection in survival against COVID nineteen just with vitamin D. Oh. And and again there was an earlier study uh two years ago that showed, you know, similar data that a high blood level of vitamin D. That's why, you know, people living up in New York City should be taking at least, you know, a few thousand units of vitamin D every day. You know. Very, very important.
0: I fully agree. All right. Uh, This is a good point at which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. In part two, we're going to talk about uh, a new book that uh, you're about to publish. We'll also talk about, you know, it's Valentine's Day. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the heart, but also uh, the psychological ramifications of heart disease, an area in which I know you're an expert because uh, you actually obtained advanced postgraduate training in that field. Our guest, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.